we're back. We look forward uh, a few weeks from now to doing our pre-Oscar show and having Dr. Andy rejoin us for that. Uh, as mentioned a couple weeks back, we're going to have Milo Radulovic speak with us in the program. Mr. Radulovic is, of course, uh, the person who in real life back in the 1950s was about to be drummed out of the Air Force on trumped-up charges at the height of McCarthyism. This was the man whom Edward R. Murrow decided to go to bat for on national television and is the basis for the movie Good Night and Good Luck. But being that we're in kind of a literary mood today, I wanted to take a couple of reviews because sometimes this is poetry itself, I think, when you get a very succinct review of something that just manages to catch the essence. Perhaps you noticed uh, Peter Hartlob's review in The Chronicle of the movie Big Mama's House 2 which was reviewed in the Chronicle by having the little man snoozing in his seat. But here's the one-sentence review that I just love. If you never tire of the same joke, Big Mama will surely have you bouncing off the walls. (laughs) And in a similar vein, we have a review from The Economist magazine of the book Rebel in Chief, Inside the Bold and Controversial Presidency of George W. Bush a rather shamelessly laudatory book by Fred Barnes. We must excerpt from The Economist in their review. The political sage of the Weekly Standard does not go so far, say, as North Korea communist hacks when they praise Kim Jong-il as a hero for the ages. Mr. Barnes is at least open to doubt, but he leans in that direction. It goes on. One of Mr. Barnes's silliest proposals is to portray Mr. Bush as a rebel against the permanent Washington establishment, quote, an alien in the realm of the governing class, unquote. Also, quote, an insurgent with few ties to Washington, unquote. They go on, but doesn't Mr. Bush's, quote, few ties to Washington, unquote, include a father who was president, a grandfather who was senator, Doesn't Mr. Bush's cabinet include such beltway fixtures as Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld? And isn't Mr. Barnes a cheerful member of the permanent Washington establishment with a high-profile job on Fox News? And if you're keeping track out there, the answer to those is yes. Speaking of Fox, have you noticed how the war in Iraq is referred to on Fox as the war on terror? We were intrigued on this program by the January 30th headline in the B, Rice Admits Policy Failure. Secretary of State reviews how U.S. failed to foresee Hamas win. As far as we know, this is one of the exceedingly few times anyone in the administration has admitted to anything going wrong. But here's something that isn't exactly going right. In Iraq right now, some Christian peace activists are in custody with uh, threats against their lives. It's uh, curious to note that when it comes to Iraq... Another headline from the Chronicle recently noted that the U.S. Army has jailed wives of suspects, documents show. Nursing mothers seized during raid, held in hopes that her husband could be persuaded to surrender. Article by Charles Hanley of the AP. We're we're as appalled as anyone to see the, the numerous hostages being taken in Iraq. So, you know, when you put this in context, let me quote from the article. The U.S. Army has at least twice seized and jailed the wives of suspected insurgents in Iraq in hopes of leveraging their husbands into surrender, U.S. military documents show. In one case, a secretive task force locked up the young mother of a nursing baby, a U.S. intelligence officer reported. 
In the case of a second detainee, one American colonel suggested to another that they catch her husband by tacking a note to the family door telling him to come get his wife. But it's, uh, it's worth mentioning something we did not get to on last week's show. Um, the fact that Cindy Sheehan was bounced out of the chambers of Congress before the president's State of the Union address because she was wearing a T-shirt that said, 2,242 dead, how many more? They also threw out the wife of a member of Congress who was wearing a T-shirt that said, support the troops defending our freedom. There was an outcry all across the the nation in response to this. The Sacramento Bee said, while we are all for decorum and civility, we believe our democracy is strong enough to endure the sight of a political fashion statement in our president's presence. Let's do a few items from the stupidity file since we seem to be in this stupidity mode. Uh, Dan Walters, also writing in the Bee, noted something's going on in California uh, that, that is of concern. According to Mr. Walters, many school districts, including the behemoth L.A. Unified, have decreed that all of their young charges will be prepared for admission to a four-year college, some even to the University of California, even though simple logic would tell you that the vast majority of those kids won't receive four-year degrees, and most of them are simply not oriented to academic work. He later notes the corollary to this syndrome has been the insidious effort by state and local educators, college graduates all, to denigrate vocational education programs, playing to their own prejudices and those of Latino and African-American leaders who equate voc-ed with race-based tracking. The disconnect from reality is deafening, says Mr. Walters, and we agree. There was much in the news about this ferry that sunk in the Red Sea going between Saudi Arabia and Egypt. It's quite a terrible story. One thing that doesn't get talked much about it is the fact that the ferry upon being sold to this Egyptian company, uh, was under Panamanian registry. Had it been operating under even Egyptian law, it would never have been allowed to operate under the uh, uh, deficient conditions which, which prevailed and which caused so many deaths. This idea of letting uh, countries of, of convenience uh, like Panama register ships under really lax laws is something that the World Trade Organization, if they want to do some good, needs to address. The company that owns the ferry that notes, has noted that the captain seems to be missing. The captain who was one of the first to abandon ship when it was clear it was going to sink without leaving anyone instructions as to what else they might do to save themselves. I hope the Egyptian families of the lost people find that guy first. We like to note that Radio Parallax's take on things sometimes is a little bit different. We, we hope it is. How about this one? We thought this was odd. Walmart ex-top executive pleads guilty. The former Walmart vice chairman, Thomas Coughlin, a couple weeks ago, agreed to plead guilty to federal charges of wire fraud and tax evasion. The Wall Street Journal apparently got a hold of documents showing that the former protege and hunting buddy of founder Sam Walton misappropriated as much as a half million dollars from Walmart through fraudulent reimbursements and improper use of gift cards. Here's the part I like. Coughlin defended himself by saying the funds were reimbursement for an anti-union spy program, but federal prosecutors in Walmart found no evidence to support that claim. So he'd been paying himself a half a million dollars for an anti-union spy program. That would have been exculpatory. That would have made it okay. We have an unconfirmed uh, report here that we we will try and track down that Companies like Office Depot won't even ship 
to entities that have union labor because they don't want their drivers being talked to by union reps. Now, I don't know whether that's, we can't verify that for sure, but we're going to look into that. But this idea that like, oh yeah, all we're doing is busting unions. I mean, shoot that, you know, pay yourself a half a million dollars for that. What's, what's wrong with that? It doesn't seem reasonable to us. How about you, dear listener? Does that, that sound fine to you? Well, we didn't have time for much, uh, much science on today's program, so I'll just pick one item which I thought was quite curious from New Scientist magazine and which has a special relevance, I think, to here at UC Davis with its world-famous departments in viticulture and enology. That, of course, is winemaking. According to the New Scientist, next time you're organizing a cheese and wine party, don't waste your money on quality wine. Cheese masks the subtle flavors that mark out a good wine, so your guests won't be able to tell that you're serving them cheap stuff. According to the magazine, Bernice Madrigal-Galan and Hildegard Hyman of the University of California, Davis, presented trained wine tasters with cheap and expensive versions of four different varieties of wine. The tasters evaluated the strength of various flavors and aromas in each wine, both alone and when preceded by eight different cheeses. They found that cheese suppressed just about everything, including berry and oak flavors, sourness, and astringency. Only butter aroma was enhanced by cheese, and that's probably because cheese itself contains the molecule responsible for buttery wine aroma. The paper on this will appear in the March edition of the American Journal of Enology and Viticulture, and we're going to see what we can to get our, our, our local uh, scientists to talk to us about this. My goodness. Let's, uh, let's do some obituaries. Uh, I think that Timothy Treadwell died a couple years back. That was uh, the man who Werner Herzog has made the documentary Grizzly Man on, uh, although I was appalled at the commercials on the Discovery Channel when they aired this. This was, I can see why this won an Oscar, why this is such a fascinating documentary. And Radio Parallax would recommend that uh, anyone out there check it out. It is just, it's riveting viewing. And in the matter of the passing of Coretta Scott King, it was noted by Robert Simeljar on ABC News, which you can get on the web, that uh, it's worth taking a look back at all the wiretapping that was going on in the late 60s of her husband, Martin Luther King. Mr. Simeljar noted in the article that J. Edgar Hoover's surveillance of Martin Luther King was a breathtaking use of executive power that went far beyond the, quote, national security concerns that were used to justify it in the first place. We're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, in future shows. And I hope I can invite some of my fellow uh, public affairs hosts to talk to me about uh, the passing of Betty Friedan. I hope, Franz, if you're listening, you might give us a call on next week's show. Betty Friedan's manifesto, The Feminine Mystique, was a bestseller in the 1960s, and it laid the groundwork for modern feminism. She died last Saturday at the age of 85. Betty Friedan's assertion in her bestseller that having a husband and babies was not everything and that women should aspire to separate identities as individuals was considered, uh, well, highly unusual, if not revolutionary, just after the baby and suburban booms of the Eisenhower era. Betty Friedan went on to become the first president of the National Organization for Women in 1966. She staked out positions that seemed extreme at the time on such issues as abortion, sexually neutral help-wanted ads, equal pay, promotion, opportunities, and maternity leave. 
passing away as she did uh, in the same week as uh, Coretta King. Betty Friedan has not perhaps gotten talked about as much as she deserves. We will uh, we'll try and correct that on next week's show. And our final item of the day is to note the passing of TV actor Al Lewis. Al Lewis originally uh, got on the national radar screen portraying Officer Leo Schnauzer on Car 54, Where Are You? There's a holdup in the Bronx, Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short a child, cruise ships do it idle wild. Car 54, where are you? I'm sure a lot of you do not remember that program, but I will bet that almost everybody remembers Al Lewis in his uh, most famous role, that of Grandpa in The Munsters. Such a pop icon was that character that Al Lewis was never able to shake it for the rest of his life. But apparently there was more to the guy. He was a former high school basketballer. He achieved renown as a basketball talent scout familiar to to such coaching greats as Jerry Tarkanian and Red Auerbach. He operated a Greenwich Village restaurant where he was a regular presence chatting with customers. In 1998, a ponytailed Mr. Lewis ran as the Green Party candidate against incumbent New York Governor George Pataki. And apparently up to the end, at age 82, Al Lewis had a weekly radio program on WBAI-FM in New York City. I'm not sure either of these programs on television that Mr. Lewis was a part of, Car 54, or the Munsters really were comedy classics, but I have to admit, I remember an episode where Fred Gwynn as Herman Munster auditioned for a baseball team with uh, with special guest Leo DeRocher that, that was right up there with Buster Keaton in terms of some of the sight gags. It was pretty funny stuff. I'll say one thing for the Munsters. You can't take away what a great, great theme song this is. Anyway, our thanks again to Dr. Andy Jones and Brad Henderson. We remind you that they will do, be doing a book signing at the Nasulis Gallery tomorrow at 7 p.m. That's at 521 First Street in Davis. And for more information, you can call 756-3938. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next Thursday at 5. And I think that going out with the Munsters theme is a great segue for Todd's show. This is the kind of thing you might hear on either Radio Parallax or... Hometown Atrocities.